Thank you so much for joining us for the Summit Podcast. This message was produced with you in mind, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has shown himself faithful in your life. Email us at mystory@summittogether.com. So glad you're here. My name is Mel Massingale. I'm the light lead pastor here at the Summit. I want to wish you a happy Easter. Thank you so much for celebrating the resurrection of Jesus with us today. Thank you for being here with us. If you're a guest with us today, if this is your first time, or maybe you've come a few times, you've been here, but you've never filled out one of our guest cards, we'd love for you to take just a moment and fill out one of these cards that are in the seat back in front of you. If you would, take it out. And at the end of our worship experience today, stop by the Info Center. It's over by our cafe on the right-hand side of the lobby. And uh, give this to them. And they are going to give you a free gift. It's one of our Summit mugs with our logo and our vision statement that says every life made different. That's why we exist. That's why we do what we do. And so uh, we would love for you to have that just as a token of our appreciation and say thank you for worshiping with us today. They're also going to answer any question you might have about the Summit. So please take just a moment, fill this card out, drop it off at the Info Center before you leave today. I also want to welcome all of our guests that are watching online at summittogether.com. No matter where you are, how you're joining us today, we want you to know we appreciate you worshiping with us. So thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, hey, there are um, a couple of things coming up. This is a big weekend for us, obviously, Easter weekend. And uh, it's great because we have already had, uh, we had 23 salvations in our services already this weekend, which is incredible. We celebrate that. And we're expecting even better things in, in the 9.30 right now. And then in our 11 o'clock as well, we're expecting God to do some big things. But next weekend is going to be a great weekend for us. We've got Marion Jones with us. Uh, she is a seven-time Olympic medalist. Uh, she had five of her Olympic medals stripped from her because of her uh, involvement in the Balco scandal where she uh, lied to federal investigators about invo- her involvement in uh, in using performance-enhancing drugs. And so she had to go to federal prison. She did some prison time, and then uh, she got out. Um, she had had a couple of children already. She got out of prison. Her life was changed. She had rededicated her life to Christ. Uh, she had another child, and most of you know, after you've done some prison time and you've had three kids, a good thing to do is try to pre- play professional basketball. So that's what she did, and she played three years in the WNBA, and so we would love for you to be here next weekend for that with us, so please come back and join us. And don't just be here, but invite the people you know in your life who maybe aren't interested in church, the people that maybe they love sports, um, but maybe they're not interested in coming to church. This is a weekend to bring them. So there are invites like this one out in the lobby. Take a whole bunch of them with you. Invite people uh, from your work, from your neighborhood, and let's get them here next weekend as we are uh, as we are, um, talking to Marion Jones and just hearing her incredible story. The following weekend, April 9th and 10th, we're going to be having a, a, an extended worship set that day, so we're going to have more worship, and we're also going to have baptisms. So we're going to be baptizing dozens and dozens and dozens of people that weekend, and we would love for you to be a part. Um, we'd love for you to be here and worship with us, but also, if you've never been baptized, uh, baptized before, we would love for you to celebrate what God is doing in your life by uh, letting the world know that's what baptism is. It's a public declaration of our faith in Christ. We're, we're letting the world know what Christ has done for us by baptism. So if you're interested in that, you can sign up at the Info Center or you can register on our website at summittogether.com. You can do that there as well. So uh, please take advantage of those opportunities. We'd love for you to be here and be a part of that. And also, we're gonna have some different things going on during our um, that day of worship. During worship, it's gonna be really cool, really unique. You wanna be here for that experience. Don't miss it. Um, there's a few people I wanna recognize today. Number one, um, we had a whole bunch of people here this week helping us with our set design. Don't you love our set design? Didn't it look great? 
So we wanna say thank you to all of our volunteers. So let's give them a round of applause today. Thank you, volunteers. Thank you, creative team. Appreciate you guys. Uh, I also wanna say thank you to all of our uh, team, our army of leaders and volunteers who are here. Um, a lot of them are here all weekend long, uh, whether it's their ushers or greeters or working in the cafe or, or the bookstore or uh, just the different areas, the kids workers and the band, everybody. Like, can we just give all of our workers, all of our leaders a round of applause? Thank you guys. So many of them serve behind the scenes and I appreciate them so much. So we appreciate them. And uh, a few weeks ago, I introduced to you our new youth pastor. Um, you're brand new. I'm getting teary-eyed over you. I don't know why. I, don't, I shouldn't love you that much yet. <laughs> but uh, I introduced our new youth pastor, Josh Walters, to you. And I'm really excited because we've had Josh around. We're, we're getting tired of him. He's an old hat at this point. Uh, but his wife has made the transition and she moved here, so I'd like them to stand. And I want to introduce Bryn Walters to you. Let's give her a round of applause as well. I, I asked her yesterday, I said, do you want to say anything? And she said, no, because all I'd say is, hi. <laughs> like, well, okay, good point. We'll just have you wave then. So, uh, no, we're so glad to have Josh and Bryn with us. We love these guys, and we believe the future is bright for our youth ministry and what God's going to do there, and we're pleased to have them on board with us and hopefully get settled, and uh, we love them. So you'll be hearing more from them down the road. Today we are, are actually beginning a series uh, entitled, I Am, and in the book of John, Jesus makes seven statements about who he is. He makes seven I am statements. And we're gonna explore those and what those mean because uh, the, the reality is we can only find our identity in who Jesus is. And many of us find our, try to find our identity in our jobs or in our families or in our income or in our car or in our house. And we try to find our identity in all these different ways, but the only true way we can discover who we are is through intimacy and a relationship with Jesus Christ. And because he has a certain identity, we can also have a certain identity. Because he is certain things, we are certain things as well. And so over the next eight or nine weeks, we're going to be exploring our identities. Who are we in Christ? What does that mean for us? Because he is certain things. What is that reflection on us? And what does that mean? What are the implications for us? So we're going to be exploring this and walking through this together over the next few weeks. But uh, Jesus made these statements in, in John, but if you go all the way back to Exodus chapter three, it was the first I am statement. In Exodus chapter three, there was a guy named Moses who was out in the wilderness and he was just watching his father-in-law's sheep and uh, he, he, this burning bush caught his attention. And he noticed it because it wasn't being consumed. It was burning, but it wasn't burning up. And so he was curious, he approached it and then the Lord spoke to him through this burning bush. And just to paraphrase it, basically God said to him, Moses, you're going to go set my people free. They're in, in bondage in, in Egypt, so, so you're going to go set them free. And, and Moses, he argues with God. Has anybody ever argued with God before? Like God told you to do something and you're like, no, nah, I'm good. Like I pass, right? As if we can pass. Like nope, pass, go to the next guy, right? We argue with an eternal God and God basically was not having any of it. So Moses would say, God, I, I can't do that. I, 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 stutter. And God was like, I don't care. I made your tongue, right? I'm gonna send Aaron with you. You're gonna be just fine. And so Moses is arguing with him and arguing with him. And finally, he gets this portion in Exodus chapter three, verse 13. And it says, then Moses said to God, 
If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Seems like a valid question, right? If you showed up and you said, God has sent me. Which God? I forgot to ask, right? Let me go find out. So he asked the question, what shall I say to them? This is what God says in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. That doesn't feel like it clarifies things very much, right? He says, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So what what God was saying to Moses is, and if you look at it in context right before this, uh, God had told Moses, I'm sending you, but then he, he comforts him and says, but I'm going with you. I'll be with you on this journey to set my people free. And so th- there's a couple ways we can look at this. Number one, God is saying that he is eternal. He says, I am. And so basically what he's saying is, at the beginning of time, I am. At the end of time, I am. I'll be there to clean up the mess at the end of time. And all the way in between, I am. I am the alpha and the omega and everything in between. And he is constant and perpetual. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone? Uh, Maybe not a dating relationship or romantic, but maybe just a friendship. And you realized over time, they changed, like they shifted. Most of us are not still friends with the same people we were friends with in elementary school, right? Why? Because we change, thankfully, right? Things shift. Things develop. Our values change over time. But this is the thing about God. God does not change. God is perpetual. He is I am at the beginning. He will be I am at the end. And he is I am now. So he's reassuring Moses. He's saying, Moses, guess what? I told you I would be with you, and that's not going to change. I am with you. He says, I am the same at the beginning, at the end. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. He identifies himself as Yahweh. In fact, Hebrew people uh, take this name so seriously they won't even write it because they, they honor and revere the name of God in such a high way. So we see God identify himself in Exodus chapter three as I am. Then you fast forward to John chapter eight and, and Jesus is having a conversation with the religious people. Did you notice Jesus never had problems with sinners? He only had problems with religious people. That's just a side note. That's bonus coverage. I'll just lay that at your feet. You can do whatever you want to with that. So Jesus is having this conversation with religious people, with the Pharisees. And they're trying to catch him in a lie or trying to catch him in a place where they can trap him. They have this aha moment where they go, gotcha, but they can't do it. And so he's having this conversation with them and he basically calls them, well, he does call them liars. He, he, they, they kind of imply that he lies and then he just turns it on them and says they're liars. And then he comes to this portion of scripture in uh, John chapter eight, verse 56. And it says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So this is what happens. Jesus has this moment with the Pharisees and with the religious leaders, and he identifies himself as God. So he said, before Abraham was, I am. What he is saying is the same words that that God used to identify himself in Exodus, Jesus is using to identify himself as God in John chapter 8. And so this infuriated the religious people because, number one, it just offended their senses because they didn't like Jesus very much. They felt like he was a phony and a fraud. The second thing was that the, the 
that blasphemy was against the religious law in, in Israeli culture. It was punishable by death. So when Jesus claimed to be God, they believed he was lying. And it was a punishable offense by death. So they were picking up the rocks. They weren't gonna skip some stones on the, the river. They were gonna go kill Jesus with these rocks. They were gonna throw rocks at him until he was dead. That was their purpose and intention. And Jesus slipped away. So Jesus makes this public statement that I am the I am, basically. I am the God that, that, that has become incarnate. I am God in flesh on planet Earth. And it would have been blasphemy if it wasn't true, but it was true, and it's still true today. Jesus is God. So these are the I am statements that lead up to the first I am statement we're gonna look at today, and it's in John chapter 14, verse one is where we'll begin. Jesus is talking to his, uh, his followers, and he's trying to paint a picture for what's to come. He's trying to help them see what the future might look like. And this is what he says in John chapter 14, verse one. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. See, Jesus identifies himself here as the way. And we're gonna unpack this word by word, the way, the truth, and the life. That's what this will look like. Um, has anybody ever read a passage of scripture before and you read it and when you finished you were like, I got no clue. I have no understanding of what that meant. Has anybody ever done that before? And the rest of you are liars, right? <laughs> I have never done that before. I have a complete understanding of all of scripture. I went to Bible college. I'm your pastor, and there's times I read scripture, I'm like, no clue. I need to call somebody who understands this better than me, right? We all do that at some point, but the thing is, it makes me feel better when I see the disciples because the disciples did this often and regularly. Jesus would share something with them and they'd be like, no, no, I don't get it. I don't understand. And he'd shake his head and go, okay, let me, let me make this plainer for you, okay? And so he would help them understand. And so when Jesus is talking about, hey, uh, someday I'm gonna go to a place and in my father's house there are many rooms and I'm gonna go prepare a place for you, we know now, looking back, that he's talking about heaven. But they had no idea what he was talking about. They were thinking maybe a timeshare. We're going to Branson, Missouri, timeshare? What are you talking about? Like, they had no clue. And so he's trying to paint this picture and trying to walk it out for them and help them see that he's not gonna be with them because they still had a vision of Jesus establishing an earthly kingdom, him overthrowing the Romans, and that they would rule on, uh, in Jerusalem with Jesus. They would be an earthly king. They had no idea what was to take place. And so Jesus is trying to ease that transition for them, help them understand. And so uh, it's interesting when Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And he responds and says, I am the way. And if we look at the word way there, it, it, it is very literal meaning. It's an Aram, the Aramaic word. It literally means the road or the pathway or the, the highway. And so this is a very clear understanding. He's making this very clear for his followers. He said, hey, you don't know the way to where we're going, but I'm gonna tell you the way. I am the way. You don't know the road. You don't know the pathway. You don't know the highway to take to get there. Guess what? I am the highway. Follow me. 
and you're gonna get to where you need to be. So she tries to make it very clear. The the word the way in, um, in early Christianity, it was actually what followers of Jesus called themselves. They were followers of the way. So they would identify themselves and, and be basically say, we know where we're going. We know the direction we're going. We know the pathway because we know the way. We know Jesus. Does that make sense? And so they identified themselves. Even in scripture, you see it over and over and over, several places where they identify themselves as the way or people of the way. Let me ask you a question. Does anybody remember, um, this might blow some of your minds. Does anybody remember before cell phones? Does anybody remember before we had cell phones? Some of you are like, I, wow, these words, before cell phones, I've never heard that before. But okay, before we had cell phones, do you remember trying to, um, before GPS in your hand, do you remember having to make a plan for going someplace that you didn't know where you were going? You'd have to get on the computer and it was dial up. Do you remember that? It was making the noise and it would take 10 hours to download an email. And so you get online and you print up your map to where you're going. Or if you have the old school map, you sit in your car and you unfold it and you're like, okay, if I've got to go this far on the map, that means it's going to take me 27 hours. I don't have any idea, right? You were like, no clue. An inch equals 10 days. I'm not sure. And so you're trying to figure it out on this map. But the worst is when the worst is when someone would say, hey, you want to go? Yeah, let's go. I don't know where I'm going, though. That's okay. Just follow me. Have you ever had that moment? And so you go, okay, great. And you get in the car, and they start driving. And little did you know you're following Richard Petty, right? Like he's a NASCAR driver, this person. And they think they're racing to the end. And, and so they're bobbing and weaving in between traffic. And before you know it, you are left behind. Have you ever been there? I had been there. Panicked feeling, isn't it? Because you're like, I don't know where I'm going, so how am I supposed to get there? I don't got a cell phone because it's 1987, right? You're like, uh, so I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. Wait by a payphone. I'm not sure, right? I, I had a moment similar to this. Um, I did a, I went on a missions trip to uh, St. Petersburg, Russia, years ago, and there was a group of us that went, and um, we were going to work with. Uh, schools there that um, elementary and, and junior high and high schools, and we were doing drug awareness seminars with a ministry called Teen Challenge. And so we were going into all these schools and doing these seminars, and we got invited to go and do this seminar at uh, what was known as the roughest reform school in St. Petersburg. And so they invited four of us, and they knew how rough and tough I was, so they just said, we want you to come and do this at this rough school. Um, I'm really not rough. I'll probably cry in a moment. So, uh, so they invited us to go, and the rest of the team was doing other things. So there's, there was four of us and, and our translator. And there's a female translator, two girls, and then two guys. And um, so we have to take a taxi to the bus station. We get on the bus, and we take this bus, and it's a long ride to the train station. And we, we are going to go down this escalator to the train platform. And you, I'm not even exaggerating. We're standing at the top, and you can't see the bottom. Like, it's just dark. It's like those scenes on the movies when they're like, you know, you, you go to hell, you go down, down escalator, you go to heaven, you go to the up escalator. That's what I felt like. I was like, I can't see the bottom, where we're going down there. So we ride this long escalator to the bottom. And I am carrying, I'm like a pack mule. I'm carrying two big packs of Bibles, uh, and, you know, one in each hand, and it's, it's heavy. And, um, and I've got a, a pack of Bibles in my backpack because the Russians were letting us, uh, they were letting us distribute Bibles in the public school. That's a novel idea, right? Anyway, so we're, we're down there on the train platform. We're standing there, 
and um, we get there, and it's, it's like a movie scene. So the doors open, and people rush out, and people rush on. It's not this leisurely, like, oh, go ahead, and then, you, okay, I'll squeeze in. It was chaotic. It was nuts, and people are fighting to get on and off this train. And so we see this first train, and we knew this wasn't our train, but it was, it was a little intimidating, because it was like, oh my gosh, I might have to murder somebody in order to get on this train. I don't know if I wanna do that, right? It was just like chaotic. And so we're standing there and the next train comes and this is ours, so we're getting amped up. Like, okay, we're ready, we're ready. And there's two girls, in, the two girls in front of me, uh, the guys in front of them, and then the translator. So the translator's leading the way because she speaks Russian. She can read Cyrillic. She knows where we're going. So the doors open and they dart on and they're like weaving through. And I've got these packs of Bibles in this, line. I've got like 80 pounds of Bibles that I'm carrying with me and I'm trying to push through and I can't get through. And, and it was horrible because I hear um, the, the warning voice. I don't know what they're saying, but I do know what they're saying. The 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 fat American is about to get left behind. That's what they're saying. <laughs> I don't speak Russian, but I'm pretty sure that's what they said. So they all get on and the doors begin to close. And as they do, it's like slow motion. It's like, no, as the doors are closing. And I really, this was only like five seconds or seven seconds. I panicked because I'm in my mind, I'm processing and I'm thinking, um, I don't read Cyrillic. Have you ever tried to read Russian before? It's like Lego blocks. It's not even letters. I don't know, I don't know how they make words out of that. And you, I don't speak Russian. I can say thank you and hello. Like that's not getting me back to the hotel. And I don't even know what the name of our hotel is. So what am I supposed to do? Go take me to a hotel somewhere, right? Like, I don't know. And so I'm thinking, I, how am I supposed to get somewhere when I don't even know where we're going? I can't even get back to the hotel. And it dawned on me, I'm gonna grow old and die on this train platform because I can't leave. They're gonna have to come back and find me someday. Like 70 years later, I'm standing on this platform just hoping somebody will pick me up. <laughs> Crying, right? I'm panicking, thinking, what am I supposed to do? And so I just decided I am, I am bull rushing the doors. I don't even care. And so I just like take off and I'm like knocking people down. And I am the reason why Russians think we're rude Americans, okay? <laughs> and so I'm, I'm and I, I just, the doors are closing and I jump through literally like a scene off a movie. I jump through and I made it because I'm so thin. I went right through. And then <laughs> you guys laughed too loud at that joke. But I realized something. My packs of Bibles did not make it. They were stuck because the doors closed right behind me and my Bibles were in the door. And I'm thinking, I'm gonna have to ride to the next stop just like this. And so I'm standing there and finally this, this Russian guy standing next to me helps open the door and I pull the Bibles in and it was okay. But I'm telling you, for just a moment, I was freaked out because I had no idea where I was going. I had no idea how I was gonna get there. I didn't know the way. I didn't know the destination. I was lost I was in trouble, but someone had to help me. Uh, it, it reminded me of um, it reminded me of this this story. Does anybody uh, you've probably seen the movie, maybe read the book uh, Alice in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll? There's this there's this exchange between Alice and the Cheshire Cat in Alice in Wonderland, and in this story. Um, Alice is lost in this land called Wonderland, and she has no idea. She's hopelessly, desperately lost. And in, in the story, she has this conversation with the Cheshire Cat in chapter six, and this is what she says. She says, would you please tell me which way I ought to go from here? And the cat responds, and he says, that depends a good deal on where you wanna go. And she says, I don't much care so long as I get somewhere. 
And he says, then it doesn't matter which way you go. You're sure to do that. You're sure to get somewhere if only you walk long enough. That's what the cat says to her. And this is what happens in many of our lives spiritually. Many of us, we know we don't like where we're at, but we don't know where we're going. So we begin to walk. If we don't know where we're going, we're sure to get somewhere, right? We begin to walk. Some of us, we're so dissatisfied with our jobs, but we don't know where we wanna be, so we begin to walk. Some of us, in your marriage, you're so dissatisfied, you, you know you don't wanna be where you wanna be, right, where you're at right then, but you don't know where you're going, so you just begin to walk, you begin to wander, you begin to look around. And before you know it, we have this, this, this directionless existence where we're moving, but we're not getting anywhere because we don't know where we're going. And because we don't know where we're going, we don't know the path to get there. Some of you are just like I was standing on that train platform station in St. Petersburg, Russia. You're, you're thinking, I, I know I don't wanna be here, but I don't know how to get to where I wanna be. And Jesus clearly identifies himself. He says, I am the way. I'm the road, I'm the highway. I am the way to get to where you wanna be. He says, we see in Psalm chapter 37, it's a passage I've used a lot of times to comfort people. And it says, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by God is another way that it's said. So what happens when we delight in the Lord? He directs our path. He straightens our path. He orders our steps. It goes on to say that when we stumble, he'll keep us from falling by upholding our hand. Why? It's because when we press into the Lord, he makes the path straight for us. He makes the way straight. And again, same language Jesus uses to identify himself. When we press into God, he lines us up with Jesus as the way, as the path, as the highway. And we come into alignment with him. See, he is, he is the one way, and we'll talk about this more in just a moment, but he said in, in verse six, no one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to get to where we wanna be, to get to the Father, to get to heaven. There's one way, it's through Jesus. He is the way, he is the road, he is the path in order to get to where we wanna be. See, if Lewis Carroll later on, he summarized this exchange with Alice and the cat, and he says, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. And the reality is many of us spiritually, relationally, emotionally are in that place. If we don't know where we're going, any road will take us there. But we need to clearly identify and say, you know what, God, I, I want you. You know what, I, I wanna end up in heaven someday. How do we do that? Well, we follow the path, we follow the way, we follow Jesus. I, have you ever, like when you moved away, maybe you went to college or maybe you moved off and got a job, you're driving home for the first time after that, there's something comforting about that. Maybe if you liked your home life. But there's something about driving home. You know the way, you know the path, you've driven it uh, uh, lots, dozens, hundreds, thousands of times maybe. But you're going home. You could almost do it blindfolded. Some of you work a little ways from home and so every day maybe you've got a long commute and you've done it so many times you could almost do it blindfolded. There's something comforting about not having to check directions or not having to figure out, am I, am I, do I need to turn here? Do I need to go straight? You just know. You could almost do it blindfolded, right? There's something comforting and secure about 
knowing the direction and knowing where we're going. And this is what Jesus does for us. When we know the way, when we know the path, when we know the direction and the route that we're supposed to take to get to where we wanna go, there's something comforting and secure about that. And that's what Jesus does for us. He identifies himself as the way. Because he is the way, we are secure in that. We're comforted in that. See, we won't necessarily know all the ups and downs, but we know the path we need to take in order to get to where we wanna go. And that path is Jesus. He identifies himself as the way. He goes on to identify himself as the truth. And it's interesting because Jesus talks in the book of John, it describes Jesus as truth over and over and over. It says that he is full of grace and truth in John chapter one, verse 14. It goes on to say in verse 17 of chapter one that he is the source of grace and truth. And this is the thing, Jesus doesn't just have truth or possess truth, he is truth for us. He is the way, he is the truth. So he identifies himself as such. In fact, he believes so strongly in truth that even after he leaves, he leaves the Holy Spirit for us. Now listen to this, it's in John chapter 14, verse 16. It says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. To be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I am going to go, but I value truth so highly that I'm leaving the Holy Spirit who will function as the Spirit of truth for the world. And it's not just for the church, it's for the unchurched as well. Do you know why every uh, virtually every people group in the world, even if they don't have a codified uh, uh, law or, or, or religious statement, virtually every tribe and every group of people in the world universally understand that murder is wrong. It's because truth is written on our hearts, that we have the law written on our hearts before the beginning of time. We have this, this, this innate ability to understand right and wrong. It's because God has placed it there, because he is truth, and truth, God's truth is eternal. So virtually every people group in the world understands that murder is wrong. Virtually every people group in the, in the world understands that we should guard and protect babies. Right? So that's one of the reasons uh, I think abortion is so offensive to us. That's one of the reasons that, that we, we, we look at murder and, and we cringe. Why? Because truth is not subjective. In the world we live in today, says truth is subjective. Maybe you're here and you're somebody who's made that statement before and said, um, well, that's your truth, but that's not my truth. Well, that, that's right for you, but it's not right for me. And what we've done is we've, we have, this isn't as political as, I, as it's gonna sound, I promise, but we've catered to, uh, to politically correct statements. We don't wanna offend anybody, so instead of saying, maybe you're not right, Maybe that's not truth. We will say things like, well, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. But what we have to understand is that truth is not objective. I mean, truth is not subjective, it is objective. That it doesn't depend on your point of view. Uh, that's your opinion. Your opinion is fine. You can have whatever opinion you want, okay? That's fine to have your opinion. I see lots of opinions on social media all the time, but that does not mean your opinion is truth. See, I, I told the group last night that um, I've been sincere about a lot of things and been sincerely wrong about a lot of things. Just because I believe something passionately does not mean it's truth. It just means it's my opinion. So what we have to understand is that truth is objective. It's not subjective. In Acts chapter four, verse 11, it says, 
This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Now, we, we walked through this passage a while back, but let me just give you the nutshell version, basically. In, in homes today, if you live in an old home, you might have a stone foundation in your house. Um, and in ancient times, especially, they would take stones and build the foundations for the structures. And they would begin with one cornerstone. So they would place that cornerstone where it needed to go, and then they would measure every other stone for the foundation based off that cornerstone. That was the standard. That was the, 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 that was the key part, basically. And so the, if they measured off that, they knew they were getting a true measurement. So as the standard cornerstone, that was, if we could say it like this, the truth. And so what Jesus is, is he's the cornerstone for our lives. Now the problem comes when we say, yes, I'm a Christian, yes, I love Jesus, and we say, Jesus is my cornerstone. That's what my life is about. That's great. But then what we do is we go, well, but you know what? Um, this, is, this is how I need to live my life. So I'm gonna move this out this way a little bit. And you know what? Jesus doesn't really care about this, so we're gonna move it this way a little bit. And before we know it, we have measured our life not under the standard of Jesus Christ, but on our own standard of truth. We've said, this is how I'm gonna live. I'm gonna live how I feel. I'm gonna live according to what I believe. And, and instead of lining my foundation up with the standard of Jesus Christ, I'm gonna do my own thing. And many of us have taken our own standard of truth and tried to apply it to our lives. And what happens when we do that is, ultimately the structure will fail when our foundation is wrong. So many of us have said, uh, you know what, this is true for me, but it's not true for you. And that's great for you, but... And as a result, our foundation is faulty because we have refused to line it up with the truth and with the standard that is Jesus Christ. But when we line our lives up with that standard of Jesus, our, our lives come into beautiful, a linear equation, I mean, a linear um, set where everything works together. Everything comes together. Everything fits right. doesn't mean everything's gonna be perfect. We're still gonna have problems at times. But if you're here today, maybe your life is kind of a mess Maybe your life seems to be falling apart. Maybe you have to ask yourself, is my life being measured off the standard of who Jesus Christ is or am I living off my own standard of truth? Because we have to see that, that truth, because he is truth, we are free. And if you don't believe me, let me read this passage to you in John chapter eight, verse 31. Jesus is talking to Jewish followers and this is what he says to them. He said, to, he, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So he says, if you are my disciples and you abide in the word, you press into the word, which again, Jesus was identified as the word. We're gonna come to that probably. Um, but Jesus was identified in the word. He says, if you press into the word, you're gonna know the truth. He's again, talking about himself. You're gonna know the truth about who I am and about who you are and it will set you free. If Take a look sometime at the difference between the disciples before Jesus' resurrection and the, the disciples after Jesus' resurrection. Now, part of it was the Holy Spirit who was manifested to them on the day of Pentecost, but part of it was their understanding of who Jesus was because their eyes were opened to the truth that he was the Messiah, that he was supernatural. They had already seen him work, but when he rose from the dead, it changed their view of who he was. They had a new view. And when they truly understood the true Jesus, it changed their identities. It changed them as followers of Jesus. When we truly understand who Jesus is, we are set free to live the life that Jesus dreamed for us to live. Because he is truth, we are free. The last thing he mentioned was, I am the life. In Acts 4.12, it says this, there is salvation in no one else, 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. See, what Jesus is, is he is the way, he's the road, but he's also the life. So he is the road to life. In order to experience true life, we have to choose Jesus. We have to press into him. We have to chase after him. In John chapter 20, uh, verse 30, it says this, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, listen to why they're written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John 10.10 10 is one of my favorite passages of scripture. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus identifies and he said, here's why the enemy exists. He exists to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. See, Jesus' purpose for us, God's purpose for us, is to experience an abundant life. Not just someday when we get to heaven, we're all gonna have a big celebration there. That's not only what it's talking about, but it's talking about here on planet Earth, we can experience an abundant life. It begins with us submitting to Christ and letting him take our lives and give us new dreams, give us new hopes, give us new passions. It comes with trusting him and letting him change our destination change our road, change our path, change our standard of truth, help us submit to him. See, some of us here tonight or today are struggling with this, this feeling that, man, you, you know what truth is, you know the right way, you, you know, but you've been so busy trying to fill your life with your hobbies and with your pursuits and with your job and with your family and all these other things at the end of the day, in those quiet moments before you fall asleep, you feel hollow and you feel empty. You realize that your life is not fulfilling. You realize that your life is not a life of purpose. You realize that your life is not what you want it to be. When I talk about abundant life, you recognize the fact that you don't have abundance in your life, but you want it. And the only way to true life is through Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here spiritually breathing in and breathing out, but you're not experiencing true life. Life is available for you today in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you have lived your own standard of what truth is. And as a result, your world is a mess. You feel like your world has fallen apart. I want you to know the standard of truth that Jesus has, that Jesus is, he can rebuild your life. He can put things back together. And maybe you're here today and you've gone your own way. Maybe spiritually you feel lost. It's okay, he's getting out of here, don't worry. We're resolved, bring it back here. Maybe you're here today and you feel a little bit lost spiritually. Maybe you're here and you have looked around and you realize I don't really know where I'm going because I don't know where I'm at. I don't know where I wanna be, so I don't even know the road to get there. Maybe just like me standing on that platform in St. Petersburg, Russia, you feel a little bit desperate. You feel a little bit hopeless. But today I want you to know you have hope. You can look forward to what God's got for you. You can be secure in the fact that he is the way for you. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you. I'm so grateful that you're here among us today. I pray that you bless our time together. Speak into us in these next few moments, God. Let your Holy Spirit move. Speak into this place. Change our hearts. Draw us to you. Now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, Mel, you know what? You're talking to me today. Maybe you were the person that said, I've been trying to go my own way, go my own direction, but the truth is I feel more lost now than ever. I feel like I don't know where I'm going, so I don't even know how to get there. I wanna make Jesus my way. Maybe you're here and 
Your life is that mess that we talked about because you've built it on the wrong foundation, off the wrong measurements, off the wrong standards, and you say, today, I, I wanna rebuild my mess. I wanna make it right, and I wanna start with the foundation of Jesus. Maybe you're here, and you realize that you're not really living life. You're just existing. You're just getting by. Your life is lacking abundance because you don't have purpose. You say, I want true life in Jesus. This is what I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna make you come forward. I don't wanna embarrass you. I wanna pray with you exactly where you're at. So if you're here today and you say, Mel, that's me. I want what you're talking about. I don't wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. I wanna be right with God. I just want you to raise your hand real high where I can see it. I'm gonna pray with you right where you are. So if that's you, raise your hand real high. Thank you. A couple people up in the balcony. Who else? That's, thank you, ma'am, on my far right. Thank you, sir, down here. Thank you in the back. Thank you so much. Who else would join these and say, pray for me? I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. I wanna make my way straight. I want my foundation to be firmly built on him. I wanna I want experience abundant life. Who else? Just a few more seconds. You say, that's me, pray for me. Thank you, down here in the center section. Thank you, ma'am. Praise God. Awesome. Well, I'd like every person in this place to repeat this prayer after me, whether you raised your hand or not. Pray this prayer out loud with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Take my life and use it for your glory. Thank you for paying the price for my sin on the cross. I am yours and you are mine. Thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, let's celebrate together. Now listen, if you raised your hand and you prayed that prayer and you meant it, uh, I would love for you to take a next step. The, the word tells us that you are new. That the new has come, the old is gone. You are a new creation. Now this is what I'd love for you to do. Take this card out of the seat back in front of you. It looks like this. Fill out this portion. Let us know about the decision you made to either follow Christ or rededicate your life to him. You can drop it in the offering boxes in the back of the room here or one in the balcony there before you leave. Let us know so we can help you take the next step on your journey, on your path, on your road. We wanna help you grow in your faith and become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We wanna help you with that. You can also sign up for water baptisms uh, back at the Info Center. I'd love for you to do that. If you made a decision today and you wanna follow Christ in water baptisms, that would be an incredible way to tell the world about what God is doing in your life. You can sign up for that at the Info Center or on our website at summittogether.com. At this point, the worship team is gonna lead us in one more song of worship. We're gonna celebrate together what God is doing. Our prayer team is gonna be available on either side of the stage. So if you need to pray about anything in your life, our prayer team's available. Maybe you wanna respond to this message today. Maybe God's doing a work in your heart. Maybe you need prayer for your marriage or for your health or for your finances, whatever it is, we wanna pray with you. So as soon as we begin to sing, step out from your seat, find one of our prayer team members. And then in just a moment, my wife Kim is gonna come and dismiss the service. So stand your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time and then we will be dismissed. Guys, I want you to know, I love you more than you know and I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. I hope you have a wonderful Easter. Happy Resurrection Day. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To watch this message on video, go to summittogether.com.